Discerning Hearts provides content dedicated to those on the spiritual journey. To continue production of these podcasts, prayers, and more, go to discerninghearts.com and click the donate link found there or inside the free Discerning Hearts app to make your donation. Thanks and God bless. Discerning Hearts presents Discerning the Will of God with Father Timothy Gallagher. This podcast is an audio taken from a Discerning Hearts seminar conducted by Father Gallagher on Discerning the Will of God. Handouts alluded to by Father Gallagher can be found in the post connected to this episode at discerninghearts.com. The video instruction can be found in the same post as well or on the Discerning Hearts YouTube channel. We now begin Conference 7 of Discerning the Will of God with Father Timothy Gallagher. So welcome back. And uh, let's pick right up with uh, the second mode discernment that we were looking at last time, and that is the attraction of the heart, that is the consistent drawing toward one option in times of spiritual consolation. I just wanted to mention that uh, when I introduced the rules for discernment of spirits, I used these two terms that Ignatius gives us, the good spirit and the enemy. And I think it's really important uh, to represent Ignatius well on this um, to, to indicate that though both are real and both are active in our spiritual lives, these are not equal parts. The good spirit is the infinite, eternal, omnipotent, endlessly loving, personally present, close to us, God. And the enemy is no more than a fallen creature, certainly of a higher order than we, but still no more than a fallen creature. And this is one of the things that I love about the Ignatian teaching on discernment, it is filled with a sense of hope, of redemption, of grace, which is the more powerful um, instrumentality as we work to discern spirits in our lives. So that, that whole sense of hope fills everything in this teaching on discernment. Okay, let's look at the uh, experience of Jessica, which you have on the handout. Uh, Jessica, the one I'm calling Jessica, um, this came about because I contacted a community of sisters and I asked if there'd be any sister who'd be willing to share her vocational story. And it was really kind of nice that all of the sisters immediately said, sister, well, I'll just call her sister Jessica. And uh, when I actually sat down with her, she was in her eighties, just a, a wonderful, lovely person. And I could see immediately why they all recommended that I speak with her. So this is her story. My life is like a symphony. I'm an organist. All through her life, she was an organist, her active life. The opening theme was when I was in high school, 16 or 17 years old. There was an elusive kind of feeling, like a magnet drawing me. Now, you can already hear the attraction of the heart in this. You can already hear that we're moving into second-mode terrain. I loved being in church, the liturgy, the music. It all drew me, that language and the uh, metaphor of the magnet drawing. Before high school, I had thoughts of religious life, but not a lot. I, used, just, I just used to admire the sisters, but I didn't put too much thought into it. I dated, I had a couple of boyfriends, and I enjoyed life. One day during religion class, when I was a senior in high school, I looked out the window. I could see the cross at the top of the steeple, of the parish church. I was drawn to that like a magnet drawing me. I was really interested to see how often 
uh, Jessica used this metaphor of the magnet drawing me. I went to daily mass. There was something about mass that drew me. I used to love to listen to the scriptures. Now note, together with the drawing, the warmth, the attraction, the, the love, the language is not as explicit as in Richard's case, but you can hear there the language of spiritual consolation. Uh, being drawn like a magnet was a happy experience. There was a stillness about it. I used to like to look at the cross, listen to the music in church, all of this, something that drew me. I used to love, I liked, there was a happy quality about it. And in all of this, I think you can see pretty clearly a pattern of spiritual consolation with a drawing. Now, Jessica used this metaphor of the magnet um, being drawn like a magnet so often that I asked her if she could talk just a little bit more about it. And she tried to describe it. She answered, I entered into it. It was so elusive. I would watch the censer, the incense, the stained glass windows. I was just so involved in it. And I felt alone with it. I couldn't share it. I didn't think anyone would understand this. It was just being in this kind of atmosphere, being still and enjoying it. And again, you get the language of consolation here, enjoying it. Obviously, all of this is very much on the spiritual level. At times, I would be at a dance, and it would be fun, but I always felt there was something more for me, and the more was God. As a junior in high school, I was seriously thinking about religious life. By the time I was a senior, I knew. There wasn't one moment. It was a process over time. And these are classic qualities of second-mode discernment. Uh, it's not a single moment, as we said, in terms of what might happen in first-mode discernment. But it is a pattern that consolidates, that deepens, that intensifies, that clarifies over time. And this is what happens for Jessica. It's not one moment, it's a process over time. But look where it leads. By the time I was a senior, I knew. Like first mode discernment, through a different avenue, through the attractions of the heart, it equally leads to clarity. I'd be at a dance or at a symphony or other social events, and I'd know there was more for me. I'd be happy with people, with friends. I'd be joyful and having a good time, but I'd feel like there was more for me, more that was drawing me. The more was God calling me to be his bride, her way of describing uh, very uh, aptly her religious vocation. When I told my parents, they cried, and I said, I have to go. There was such a drawing like a magnet draws. This is God's story with me, a love affair. Now, when I heard this, as you can see from even the brief uh, comments that I've interjected into the story, I, to me, it's quite clear that this is a second mode discernment. Jessica experiences a consistent attraction of the heart coupled with or in times of spiritual consolation. The two go together consistently for her. And as I said, let's note, there was not one moment, and there won't be in second-mode discernment. This will be a process that, um, that deepens and becomes clear over time as the pattern repeats. It was a process over time, Jessica says. By the time I was a senior, I knew. And this is almost the most lovely thing that she said. Um, to describe her discernment of her vocation, a second-mode discernment in Ignatian terms, for what it truly is, a love affair. God wooing the heart, 
pouring out spiritual consolation, causing the person to feel consistently the attraction toward the option to which God is calling the person in this discernment. It's a lovely way to understand discernment. And, you know, it also helps us understand why God calls us to discern. You know, we raised this question before, couldn't you make it easier? I want to do your will. There's a love in this, a love affair in this, if we can use Jessica's words, uh, a grace that's being poured out as we go through the process. Much more is happening than even the clarity that we seek um, being given to us. Uh, Something is happening in a beautiful way in our relationship itself with God, a love affair. All right, let's look, and you have these in the handout, at some questions to consider if we are wondering if God is calling us in a given discernment to discern according to second-mode discernment. So, do I have the disposition that Ignatius describes? Whatever you want, Lord. If I'm Brian um, with Lisa discerning between finance and optometry, or any one of us discerning between our present job or a new job, or living here or moving there, or returning to school, or serving in the church in a new way, or whatever it is. Do I have the disposition Ignatius describes, whatever you want, Lord? Am I using the spiritual means to grow in that disposition? So through the weeks or months, whatever it may be, of the second mode discernment, am I praying with scripture? Am I close to the Eucharist? Am I, please God, speaking with a wise and competent spiritual guide? as I'm going through this? Are there times of silence? Am I reviewing spiritual experience? Which is particularly important, that review in second mode discernment, because second mode discernment rests upon being aware of and understanding the different spirits that are moving within us, the good spirit and the enemy, spiritual consolation and spiritual desolation. Do I seek spaces of quiet, which assist discernment? Am I attentive to my spiritual experience? Am I praying daily and reviewing my prayer? Am I praying the examined prayer? Have I learned it? Am I praying it? And am I speaking with someone? Am I learning about discernment of spirits, which is obviously key in second mode discernment, which happens precisely through, as Ignatius says, the experience of discernment of spirits. So am I learning about discernment of spirits? Be aware of, to be aware of, understand and take action in response to spiritual consolation and spiritual desolation? Am am I getting to know the rules uh, better, more profoundly? Am I applying them more in my life? Again, you can see the many ways in which God blesses us if we go through discernment, and in this case, second-mode discernment. Are the inclinations and disinclinations of my heart toward the one option and the other option truly inspired by God, truly on the spiritual level? Ignatius is speaking of spiritual consolation and also spiritual desolation. Do I have, have I reached sufficient clarity? Richard does, Jessica does, Ignatius does as he's discerning about the radical poverty. Has the process uh, unfolded enough and has the pattern been clear enough so that I have reached sufficient clarity and understanding And please, God, in conversation with a wise spiritual guide, can determine that the discernment is concluded. And then, am I speaking of my discernment with a person of spiritual wisdom, which, as I continue to repeat because it's so important, is always key for Ignatius in any significant discernment. 
Okay, another question now. What if you're discerning your Brian uh, career, service, church, whatever it might be, and God has not given first mode clarity, nor has he given second mode discernment. So, for example, maybe uh, in you had a few months in this process of discernment, and there were some experiences of spiritual consolation and spiritual desolation, but the pattern just didn't seem clear enough to say, well, now I have sufficient clarity and understanding. Maybe sometimes in spiritual consolation, I felt drawn toward one option, but sometimes a little toward the other. Um, sometimes in spiritual desolation, there was resistance to one, sometimes to the other. So there are experiences of spiritual consolation and spiritual desolation, but as we discern them, apply the rules to them, we don't get sufficient clarity and understanding. So what if you're discerning and God has given neither first nor second mode discernment? You can already tell me what the answer is going to be. Then God is calling you to discern according to a third mode. And I've summarized the third mode as a preponderance of reasons. That is, that in the third mode, we look at the advantages and disadvantages for God's greater glory of the one option and the other. So for Brian, optometry or remaining in finance and the impact of this on the family, his life, um, Lisa, uh, also the children and so forth. We look at advantages and disadvantages for God's greater glory. God's greater glory, what do we mean by that? And let's take just a moment to take a look at that. And I'm going to summarize it this way. God is more greatly glorified. So God's greater glory consists in what will make God more known and more loved in human hearts in this life and for eternity. What will make God more known and loved? If Brian goes into optometry, maybe the family has to move. There are the years of his is uh, in medical school uh, toward uh, becoming an optometrist and the impact for the children. Will they stay in one school or move to another? The financial implications of this um, and all the different factors involved. Will moving to optometry serve God's greater glory? That is, as Brian interacts with people, as the family moves into a new situation, Will this serve to make God more known and loved in human hearts in this life and unto eternity, an eternity of joy together with God? That's what we're looking at, advantages and disadvantages for God's greater glory. I'm going to describe what we mean by God's glory in the words of an excellent top-notch author, actually, on discernment, Father Jules Toner who died, oh, maybe about 15 years ago. And I had the privilege of doing a retreat under him, and it was just a delight. I've rarely, maybe never, had conversation with a mind as sharp as his, and his profound knowledge of discernment uh, was, it was just a wonderful experience, both the retreat and conversations with him about discernment. And at this point in one of his books, he is describing what Ignatius understands by the glory of God. The glory of God is the kingdom of God in us and among us. It is human persons insofar as they are alive, 
with God in Christ and are manifesting that life to the world. As human hearts, human persons grow in deeper in knowledge and love of God and live more and more out of that communion with God and spread to, to others, then God's glory is being more greatly manifested and realized in the world. He continues, God's glory, and then descriptions of it, the absolute reign of God through the Holy Spirit in each human life as you grow closer to God and your love for him deepens and your service grows, you are manifesting God's glory more greatly in the world. And all human lives together, the fullest sharing in God's life of loving communion and joy in their relationship with God, God's glory is being manifested. Oneness with Christ, with the Father in Christ, with each other in Christ, as he and the Father are one, as people are drawn together in Jesus and divisions and violence and um, all kinds of um, things that split people apart, as those diminish and people grow in oneness in Christ, God's glory is being manifested. Christ all in all, the whole Christ come to maturity. This is the kingdom, this is the glory. So that when Ignatius speaks of God's greater glory, this is what he means. All that we've just described, it's such a beautiful thing as God becomes more known and loved in human hearts. And Ignatius will say in third mode discernment, what we are looking for are advantages or disadvantages toward that effect, toward God's greater glory in human hearts in this life and unto eternal life. Concretely, the parents of St. Therese, as their family lives so closely united in the Lord, deeply rooted in their faith, and so united amongst themselves with such incredible fruitfulness, God's glory is present in the world. When the holy curie of ours, St. John Vianney, 20 years after he begins to work in this forsaken parish, in this small town that is racked by poverty and alcoholism, and misery, and now, 20 years later, is completely transformed, can stand before a packed church and say, ours is no longer ours, God's glory. When Mother Teresa and so many others in the world, less visible, but so dedicated, reach out to the poor and the needy, God's glory is manifested in the world. When a family is united in faith and in the Lord and in prayer, and so amongst themselves and together seek to encourage each other to love and serve God in this life, and so walk toward eternal life, God's glory is present in the world. When people gather in praise and prayer and worship, God's glory is present in the world. Wherever a human hand reaches out in love to another person in need for the sake of Christ, and because Christ is present in that person in need, God's glory is manifested. So this is what Ignatius means by God's glory. And this is what will direct everything in third mode discernment. And not only third mode discernment, but right now, that's what Ignatius is describing. And all of this in this world leading toward the eternity of unfathomable joy and sharing and delight in the communion of the Trinity. This is Rublev's famous icon of the Trinity. That's where God's glory ultimately is directed, that more and more human hearts enter into the joy of eternal life. 
So in the choice that I am facing and that I'm going to approach in third mode discernment, which of these options will serve for God's greater glory to bring about this happy outcome in this world and the next more and more readily? So what we seek in discernment is God's greater glory, what will make God more known and loved in human hearts in this life and unto eternity. When we are discerning, we are asking which choice will lead more to this glory. This is Ignatius' classic phrase, to the greater glory of God, ad maiorem dei gloriam. And this is what it means. It is choosing, discerning, living in such a way that we are always promoting the greater glory of God. So that when Brian is discerning between optometry and remaining in finance, as we said, what is governing this is which of these choices will serve to make God more known and loved in human hearts in this life and unto eternity. A student is considering, discerning, she loves God, he loves God, and is discerning which career God wants her, wants him to follow. Or one of us is considering going back to school for a master's. What is governing this choice, what we're looking for, is which choice will serve God's greater glory, to make God more known and loved in human hearts in this life and for eternity. A family is discerning whether God is calling them to stay in their present location or to move for various reasons. Again, what they are looking for is which choice will serve to make God more known and loved in human hearts, in the family and those with whom they come into contact and unto eternal life. A person, a man, a woman is considering volunteering for a new service in the parish or taking a new initiative or joining a particular initiative in some way that will foster the life of the parish. And what, she, what he will be asking is, will this lead to God's greater glory? So that is always the focus in third mode discernment. Okay, as we've been doing, let's move from um, a kind of reflections, reflection on third mode discernment to an actual experience of this. And so let's go back to St. Ignatius when he is discerning between the radical poverty and the mitigated poverty. Now, as we've seen, he makes a very clear, solid, receives from God a very clear and solid answer through second mode discernment, the consistent attraction towards spiritual consolation in time of spiritual consolation and also attacked in time of spiritual desolation. However, at the same time as Ignatius undergoes the second mode discernment, he also undertakes a third mode discernment, in which case what Ignatius is doing now, moments of quiet and with his journal in hand, he is looking at advantages and disadvantages for God's greater glory of the two options, the medical, mitigated poverty and the radical poverty. And let's take a look at some of these. You have these in the handout. So Ignatius first identifies advantages for mitigated poverty. So he begins with the option of, of mitigated poverty. Are there advantages for God's greater glory in this slightly less radical poverty that I'm calling mitigated poverty? And are there disadvantages for God's greater glory in this option of mitigated poverty? So this is pure third mode discernment. So Ignatius identifies various advantages to a mitigated poverty. The society of Jesus will be better maintained. So if there is at least this little bit of some kind of fixed revenue or income for the 
uh, society of Jesus, the society will, will correspondingly be better maintained and therefore better able to exercise its ministry. Its members will not trouble others by begging. Nobody really likes to be approached um, by somebody begging even for a very good cause. And if the society has uh, this mitigated poverty, they won't have to do this as much or at all uh, for people. They will be less exposed to disordered concern for their material welfare. So if there is a certain amount of fixed income, then the members aren't going to be worried about how things are going to be able to go forward. They'll have more peace and therefore better able to exercise their service of God's people. Now you can see something that's common in every one of these advantages for God's service. They are always from the perspective of God's greater glory. Mitigated poverty will help us serve people better in various ways. We'll be less worried and so forth. Um, the time necessary for begging will be free for ministry. So with the radical poverty, at times they have to be out on the streets or approaching people begging for their basic sustenance. With the mitigated poverty, they won't have to do that. They'll have more time for preaching and hearing confessions and traveling to give retreats and meeting in spiritual direction with people and writing and teaching and so forth, so that there is an advantage for God's greater glory in the mitigated poverty. The churches will be better maintained and so foster greater devotion. Because of that income, they'll be able to see to it that the churches are maintained well. And so they'll present um, a pleasing, a helpful atmosphere for people when they come to pray, and that will foster their devotion. So again, you can see that all of these advantages are very much from the perspective of God's greater glory. All right, are there disadvantages from the perspective of God's greater glory to this mitigated poverty? Ignatius indicates that there are some. The members will be less diligent in helping others. As life gets just that much more comfortable, uh, there may be just a corresponding um, diminishment of availability to serve others. They will be less ready to go on journeys, which were very, very physically uncomfortable at the time on foot or on the back of an animal over mountains through war-torn zones sometimes and then various other similar hardships. As life gets a little more comfortable, the men may be just a little less willing to do this. And so we have a disadvantage for God's greater glory in the mitigated poverty and less able to draw others to true poverty. As their witness to poverty is diminished, uh, it will speak less to others who might be more drawn to simplify their own lives were the Jesuits um, witness of poverty really the more radical one. So this too is a disadvantage for the glory of God of the mitigated poverty. Now Ignatius turns to the radical poverty. And when Ignatius turns to the radical poverty, he identifies a, a, a list of 17 advantages of the radical poverty for God's greater glory. And we'll just look at a few of them. Uh, the members will have greater spiritual strength through closer imitation of Jesus who lived in such poverty. The radical poverty will, is like the poverty that Jesus lived, the son of man who had nowhere to lay his head. And that closer imitation of Jesus will foster a richer spiritual life and more fruitful ministry and advantage for the greater glory of God. They will overcome worldly avarice more easily if they don't have anything. 
Uh, they're not, their hearts are not going to be set on things uh, so easily. So they'll be more free from worldly avarice. They will be more united through sharing the same complete poverty. Like the early Christians, there won't be those who have more and those who have less. Uh, none of them will have anything fixed for his own, and therefore they will more easily be united in community living. They will more readily hope for everything from God. When you are utterly dependent upon God, you more readily hope in God. They will live more humbly and more united with their humble Lord. Living in poverty, they will find it easier to be humble than if life was comfortable and, and similar kinds of things. And that humility is a source of enormous grace for them. They will be more free of desire for worldly consolation. When things are difficult, because they don't have material things, they won't look to them for comfort, but will look more readily to the Lord, the true source of their deepest comfort. They will give greater witness as others see that they do not desire worldly things. Uh, these men come and they preach and they serve us and they're not asking for anything. Uh, a powerful witness, a credible witness. And then the list goes on and on and on. So as Ignatius goes through this third mode discernment, uh, it's clear to him that while there are advantages for God's greater glory in the mitigated poverty, the advantages for God's greater glory of the radical poverty far outweigh them. And then finally, are there disadvantages of radical poverty for God's greater glory? And yes, if you go back to the advantages of mitigated poverty, they reverse now. With the radical poverty, the society will be less well-maintained. The members will have to trouble others by begging. They'll be more exposed to disordered concern for their material welfare. They will have to give time to begging and therefore taken from ministry. The churches will not be as well-maintained and so forth. We'll return to the special presentation of Discerning the Will of God with Father Timothy Gallagher in just a moment. Discerning Hearts provides content dedicated to those on the spiritual journey. To continue production of these podcasts, prayers, and more, go to discerninghearts.com and click the donate link found there or inside the free Discerning Hearts app to make your donation. Thanks and God bless. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and so many more. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find discerning hearts. We now return to this special presentation of Discerning the Will of God with Father Timothy Gallagher. So it's clear that as Ignatius looks at these advantages and disadvantages for God's greater glory, of both mitigated poverty and radical poverty, there are real advantages for God's greater glory of both options. But where is the preponderance of reasons for God's greater glory? And clearly, as Ignatius goes through this, this lies in the radical poverty. 
And so Ignatius concludes his third mode discernment exactly as the second mode discernment. Through in second mode discernment, the consistent attraction to the radical poverty in time of spiritual consolation. And through the third mode discernment of considering advantages and disadvantages for God's greater glory, Ignatius also comes to see that the preponderance of reasons points to the radical poverty. And so actually what happens is that his third mode discernment simply uh, confirms further his second mode discernment. Okay, if you take the text of Ignatius's rules now, let's look at how he describes this in uh, his spiritual exercises. You can see that the text uh, for the third mode of discernment is longer than the first two, much longer. So the third time or third mode is one of tranquility. Let's read this paragraph and then we'll go back over it. The third time is one of tranquility. When a person considers first for what purpose man is born, always the foundation, that is to praise God our Lord and save his soul. And desiring this, chooses as a means to this end, some life or state or career or service in the church or some family situation and so forth within the bounds of the church, so that he may be helped in the service of his Lord and the salvation of his soul. And then he explicates what he means by tranquil. I said a tranquil time. That is, when the soul is not agitated by different spirits and uses its natural powers freely and tranquilly. So Ignatius speaks of a tranquil time. And this is a prerequisite for a proper third mode discernment, that the heart be essentially at peace. So if a person is, let's say Brian is um, considering, and please God, with uh, some spiritual guidance, a third mode discernment with regards to optometry or finance, he would not do this in a time of spiritual desolation because that's going to interfere with the peace of heart and the clarity of mind that he needs in order to discern well. Nor would he do it in a time of intense spiritual consolation, which would be a wonderful grace. But if his heart is deeply, deeply moved and powerfully stirred by spiritual consolation, although he'll be grateful for the gift, this is not a tranquil time in which he can reason calmly and effectively. So what Ignatius has in mind is a time when the heart is simply tranquil. There's a kind of calm, a kind of peace. There may be even some spiritual consolation, but it will be gentle. A kind of spiritual consolation that will actually warm the reasoning and assist it and not distract from it. So if we are considering third mode discernment, a first thing to consider is, am I in this tranquil space? Which allows me, Ignatius says, to use my natural powers freely and tranquilly. And by natural powers, Ignatius means my mind, my reason to think through things, to follow thoughts through to their conclusion, to weigh advantages and disadvantages. Um, my will, is my will available? My memory to recall the things that I need in terms of relevant data and so forth. Uh, the, the role of imagination, the, the various natural powers that God has given us. In a tranquil time, we are, because our hearts are tranquil, we are able to exercise these freely and tranquilly, and so consider fruitfully and well advantages and disadvantages for God's greater glory of the one option and the other. So, in a tranquil time, Ignatius says, 
we begin third mode discernment by reviewing the found, renewing in our hearts the truth of the foundation. So I consider first for what purpose I'm born. You can hear the language of the foundation as we went through it earlier. And then desiring that purpose that on that foundation make my choice. And as you recall, Ignatius wants all of discernment to be built on the one foundation which permits authentic, sound, and good to use his vocabulary discernment. And so just to repeat briefly his principle and foundation, his foundational text, God created us out of love so that we might praise and reverence his infinite love and goodness, and by dedicating our lives to his service, might enter an eternity of joyful communion with him. Our only desire and choice, so as Brian and Lisa consider optometry or finance, is for what better leads us to the purpose for which God has created us, and that is to praise and serve him in this life, and so enter the joy of eternal life. So that if we are making a third mode discernment, it would be blessed to spend, um, take a day or two or whatever is helpful before looking at the advantages and disadvantages and refresh and deepen the truths of the foundation. Then we're building on that solid foundation uh, that permits sound discernment. Sometimes this third mode is described as the method of the four columns. Uh, so that let's say Brian sits down in the chapel before the Blessed Sacrament or in his room in a place of quiet and he considers his first and second option. So let's say optometry and finance. And with a notebook uh, spread out before him, he'll list advantages and disadvantages for the one option and for the other as these occur to him in the course of his prayer. Uh, as Ignatius does when he does his third mode discernment on the radical or mitigated poverty. And so just to, um, to see it graphically, a person might, for example, literally uh, take a, a notebook, open it, have a two-page spread. On the top of one page, if you're Brian, put optometry. On the top of the other, finance. Split the page in two with advantages and disadvantages. And approach the discernment prayerfully, reflectively, by noting, jotting down in writing as they occur to him various advantages and disadvantages for the one option and the other. Uh, if you look at this next text, this is from the, the first real biography of St. Ignatius written by one of the Jesuits who actually knew him. And at this point in the biography, this biographer is describing how Ignatius approached discernment of important things. So the author writes, when he wrote the Constitutions, so that's amongst many other things, the poverty question. And when he decided something of great weight and importance, as we said, he always first consulted with the Lord about it in prayer. Now, what's going to follow is third mode discernment, the four columns approach. But it's very instructive to see that the, uh, the Jesuit here describes it as prayer. This is not a technique. We learn how to to operate well in a given situation. This is prayer. This is relationship with God, with the one who loves us. So he always first consulted with the Lord about it in prayer. And this is the way, and the way he did this was the following. First, he emptied himself of any passion or attachment, which often confuse and obscure judgment, 
so that it cannot discover as easily the radiance and light of the truth. There's the tranquil time. So Ignatius ensures that he is in this tranquil time um, before he undertakes third mode discernment. And he placed himself without any fixed inclination or predetermined direction like matter ready to take any shape in the hands of God our Lord. There's the disposition, which as we said before, is a necessary condition for good third mode discernment. After this, with great energy, he asked of God grace to know and embrace the better choice. So he turns to God before he considers advantages and disadvantages. He turns to God in a prayer of supplication, asking God's help to do this well and see clearly. Then he considered with great attentiveness and weighed the reasons which presented themselves for the one option and for the other. Now we're in the four columns stage of third mode discernment. Um, So great attentiveness and weighed the reasons that presented themselves for one option and for the other and the strength of each. And that's helpful to note this. When we're looking for a preponderance of reasons, we're not simply looking at how many reasons we have listed. If we use the four columns, seven reasons for the one and four for the other and so forth. Yes, we're looking at the the various reasons individually and their number, but we're also looking at the strength and weight of each. There might be one of those seven or one of those four that is so strong that uh, it really comes to the four and may even determine where the preponderance of reasons lies in the discernment. So it's both the individual reasons and their weight. And he compared them among themselves. Finally, he turned again to our Lord with what he had thought and what he had found. So this would be the time when Ignatius sees that the preponderance of reasons indicates that God's will is the radical poverty. Or Brian sees a preponderance of reasons that indicates that God is calling him to optometry or to remain in finance and so forth. So he turns to the Lord with what he had thought and what he had found, the choice he's made here, and reverently placed it all before his divine gaze, beseeching him that he would give him light to choose what would be most pleasing to him. So that Ignatius brings this choice now before the Lord, seeking the Lord's confirmation in prayer. Now you have there uh, almost um, literally the description of third mode discernment as Ignatius gives it in the spiritual exercises. So I'll call it the method of the four columns. And firstly, you get the choice clear. Then you pray for the disposition you need. You turn to God in prayer, asking his help to reason well in this. You look at the reasons, advantages, disadvantages, compare them, the number, the strength of them. You come to the choice of which, where the preponderance of reasons seems to lie, and then you bring it to the Lord prayerfully for his confirmation. And this is, this is the outline of the third mode as Ignatius gives it to us in the spiritual exercises. So if you take the text of St. Ignatius, let's begin to look at this. We'll be moving toward our, our break. He speaks of the first way to make a sound and good choice contains six points. So the six points that you see on the screen are the six points that Ignatius is going to present to us. Let's go through his own wording. And let's do this, let's say, with Brian and Lisa in mind, and optometry or finance, or any one of us facing uh, a discernment of some parallel um, form. 
So the first point is to place before me the thing about which I wish to make a choice. And then Ignatius uses language um, linked to his time, such as an office or benefice to be accepted or refused, might be a job offer, or any other thing that may be the subject of a choice that can be changed, can be changed in the sense that uh, obviously we would not, uh, a married person or an ordained priest or um, religious and final vows would not be discerning uh, about the vocation because that choice is permanent and already in place. Again, we're looking, as we've said all along, at choices of some significance, um, both of which are good and the person is truly free to choose. So Brian and Lisa can either remain in finance or choose optometry. Now, the first thing that Ignatius wants us to do is to get the choice clear. And for this, we need to ensure that we have all the relevant data before we undertake a third mode discernment. If Brian is going to discern whether God is calling him and with him his family for him to return to school and uh, undertake studies toward optometry, then he needs to know what's involved. How many years? Where? What are the financial implications? Are there scholarships available? Will the family have to move? What will it mean for the schooling of the children? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that before we undertake a third mode discernment, we verify very clearly that we have all the relevant data that we need regarding the one option and the other so that the, the discernment can proceed well. So that if, for example, someone came to me in spiritual direction and was wondering, am I ready to undertake a third mode discernment on this particular choice that I'm facing? I would, before we proceeded, I would want to ask the person, do you have all the information that you need about the one option and the other? Do you have all the relevant data? And until that is present, it would not be wise to start the third mode discernment. So let's presume now that Brian and Lisa do have that data or any one of us in a third mode, discern, uh, third mode discernment. Second point, and this is the disposition. It is necessary to have as my objective the end for which I am created. So the foundation runs through everything in discernment for Ignatius. That is to praise God our Lord and save my soul. In addition, I must be ind indifferent. Uh, indiferente in the Spanish, which doesn't mean indifference in our common sense in English. It means available, not fixed on one option or the other. It's the disposition, whatever you want, Lord, the one cho choice or the other. Without any disordered attachment, so that I am not more inclined or disposed to accept the thing before me than to refuse it, nor to refuse it rather than accept it, but that I find myself like a balance at equilibrium. This is where Ignatius uses that metaphor, ready to follow whatever I perceive to be more for the glory and praise of God our Lord and the salvation of my soul. So again, if someone comes to me and we're discussing undertaking third mode discernment, we'll also need to verify that the person really is like a balance at equilibrium, ready to go one way or the other as God will indicate, but not set on one or the other in a way that will make the, um, the discernment less likely to result well. And the third is the petition. And this is to ask God our Lord that he be pleased to move my will and place in my soul what I ought to do in the matter before me that would be more for his praise and glory. That's There's the Ignatian language of God's greater glory. That would be more for his praise and glory, using my intellect well to think clearly, help me to think clearly and reason well, 
as I go through the advantages and disadvantages, faithfully to go over the matter and then to choose. So guide my heart, strengthen my heart to choose well in accord to what is pleasing to his most holy will. And so again, I would invite the person, take a day or two and just make this prayer to the Lord, maybe with some Psalms or some biblical text or just from the person's heart or with the rosary or the liturgy of the hours, but to pray before undertaking. All right, uh, let's take our break here. And uh, when we come back, we'll pick up with the remaining three points. You've been listening to the audio taken from the seminar on discerning the will of God with Father Timothy Gallagher. To hear and or to download other recordings from this seminar and so much more from Father Gallagher, visit discerninghearts.com or locate them within the free Discerning Hearts app. You can also view this series of talks on the Discerning Hearts YouTube channel. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission, which is to offer authentic and rock-solid spiritual formation freely to souls around the world. And if you feel us worthy, please consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for Discerning the Will of God with Father Timothy Gallagher.